This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glynn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glynn, and this is episode 25 of the On the Banks podcast. We have hit the quarter century mark and are very excited for the guests that are soon to come. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11. And of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. We are now right in the thick of this winter sports season. And let me tell you, the athletic seasons so far have certainly gone by fast. For all your coverage of every Rutgers team currently competing and the ones right now in their offseason, make sure to go to onthebanks.com. We are a little over a quarter of the way through the 2018-2019 men's basketball season, and one of the most exciting and anticipated weeks is upon us, Seton Hall Week. This Saturday at 2 p.m., Rutgers aims to retain the trophy as they travel to the Prudential Center to take on the Pirates in the annual Garden State Hardwood Classic. To talk about the upcoming Seton Hall game and give his thoughts on the season so far, I am pleased to be joined by the biggest Rutgers basketball fan there is, on the Banks men's basketball contributor, Dave White. Dave, this is your second time on the podcast. Glad to have you back on again. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm I'm so glad to be a returning guest. I mean, I, I don't have the same level as uh, Mr. Patch, but I'm, I'm glad to be back. So... Let's kind of look at this season in a nutshell right now. Before we talk about the Seton Hall game, obviously upcoming, Rutgers, I believe, sits at five and four on the season. And, you know, coming off of a tough loss, obviously, to the Fordham Rams only a couple days ago. What you've seen from the Scarlet Knights so far, how would you say their season has gone with the win over Miami, but obviously the loss to Fordham? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. If you had talked to me like last week, I would have been way high on them you know um i think that wisconsin game was almost as surprising as as the the miami game because Rutgers really battled in that game down to the end and they should have been worn out after that stretch um so i think i was kind of looking at all right they have four days off they're going to play fordham it's not a great gym to play in but they should win fordham's not that good they lost an zero and eight main team in double overtime but uh, i don't know that that fordham lost I'm not down on the program or anything, but that was probably the most disappointing loss since Peichel got hired. That one really bothered me because I felt like it was a chance to get on the right track. And not to bring Seton Hall into this, but I had just gotten done watching, finished watching that um, Seton Hall-Kentucky game that was just rollicking and so much fun. And I was hoping, you know, both teams coming off a win would set up Saturday for, you know, uh, a lot of excitement. So that loss was kind of, it was deflating. So I think... Record-wise, they're exactly where I expected them to be at five and four. I thought they would lose all three games: Miami, Michigan State, and and Wisconsin, and then beat Fordham. So, you know, they kind of had the surprising win and then the the surprising loss, the unexpected loss. So, record-wise, they're where they are, where I think they are. Season-wise, to describe it, I think there's still hope. It's just at this moment, it's like, oh, uh oh. Yeah, and, and so. what what I find interesting is, you know. So many people after that Fordham loss, you see it on Twitter, you see it on message boards, they're down on the program. How could you lose to Fordham? 
you know, going in, like you said, to the Seton Hall game, you want to go in with positive momentum, and now Rutgers just doesn't seem to have any. And I feel like we were kind of saying the same thing last year. You know, they had beat Seton Hall, and then the next two games they lose to Stony Brook and Hartford, and we're like, well, where did all that positive momentum go? And, you know, obviously the season finished as it did. They ended up making the tournament run. So I look at it as, you know, right now the loss— uh, looks bad, but obviously we have to see how the rest of the season goes to really put a firm judgment on whether this season was continued progress or whether Rutgers kind of just remains status quo. But one thing that I've kind of taken notice to in the last three games, specifically Wisconsin, Michigan State, and of course Fordham, Rutgers has gotten off to slow starts in the second half. Uh, and obviously Wisconsin, I, I believe they had a lead going into it. And obviously, Wisconsin ended up taking over early in the second half and kind of, you know, went away with the lead. Fordham, Rutgers had a lead going into the second half, and obviously Fordham ran away with it. Michigan State was a little bit closer. But why do you think that is? Is it just the young team that kind of doesn't know how to win and really grab control of a game yet? Yeah, I mean, they even did it in one of the early games. I can't remember which one, but Rutgers was up big. And, uh, oh, the Eastern Michigan game. Rutgers was up big. They had only scored four points in the first half. And then Eastern Michigan comes out at halftime and scores the next four, and Pico had to immediately call a timeout. And I do think that that is the makeup of a young team. I mean, listen, the past two years they had Corey Sanders and Deshaun Freeman to rely on. I mean, it, they weren't perfect um, players, but they were, you know, players who had kind of been through the grind and, and you know, were able to score a basket when Rutgers really needed one. And I think Rutgers is still kind of looking for that and that, that killer mentality. Um, and I think what happens, especially with a young team, I do think a lot of it is, is – I think it's two things. I think it's not just youth. There's a lot of youth on the team. But I think it's youth and, and um, a new team learning how to mesh with each other. So I think you see Geo and Eugene at times try to do too much. And actually, I thought the team looked at its best when they were trying to make that frantic comeback and they were feeding Harper at the end. Um, so I think there's, when it comes down to it, um, I, I just think it's youth and, and, and meshing with the team. They, they get off these hot starts and they kind of let their shoulders sag like, okay, we did our job kind of thing. Now, you bring up, I want to talk a little bit about the player, specifically Geo Baker, and obviously he's making the transition himself. Obviously, Corey Sanders was the main ball handler last year. Geo was able to play off the ball. This year, obviously, Geo is the guy. He's the main ball handler. He's the person that everyone else is looking to uh, to score when Rutgers really needs it. And I don't think the Fordham game, and I think he'd probably admit this too, the Fordham game wasn't his best game. I think he finished with around 14 points, uh, but you know he, he was having difficulty defending Nick Honor, the young Fordham guard who went off for 30. Uh, he only, I think, even late in the first half, scored his first bucket. It was a three. So he didn't have his best game. How do you think Gio has kind of adjusted to being that on-the-ball player where it's literally he's the go-to guy, he really doesn't have anyone else to rely on when Rutgers needs that big basket? Um, I think he's doing all right. Uh, it's, it's definitely a learning process. He's had some moments where he's been uh, brilliant um, and made key shots and, and kind of carried the team for a little while. But at the same time, I think he's still learning to also learn when to pass and when to, to go. And I think that hurts him sometimes. I also really think he's getting worn down a little bit in games. Like, they were running him through Fordham to get on or open. They were running him through all sorts of screens and then faking the screen. You know, they were wearing him down. And I think that hurts not 
his shooting ability, but his decision-making process. You know, you get mentally worn down more than physically. And I, I so I think there's definitely um, a little bit of that going on. And how do you think, you know, the freshmen overall? Obviously, Ron Harper has made an impact. Montez Mathis, Kayla McConnell, we've seen spurts as well as Shaq Carter. How do you think, I guess, the three freshmen and now the uh, the the junior college transfer, Shaq Carter, how do you think they've kind of adjusted and how have they grown through this really first quarter of the season? Well, I, uh, first of all, Ron Harper has surprised the heck out of me. He hasn't been, you know, uh, a superstar or anything, but he's always in the right place. Um, he's still getting beat a little bit on defense, but that's a learning process. But he, he makes his layups. He is finds himself open for shots. He, he does what he needs to do. Um, I think Mathis is learning on offense when to go, but he's really developed his defense uh, pretty well. He They put him on some, you know, he started Saturday against Fordham because Issa Chom was sick, and he played some really good defense, I thought. Um, McConnell's starting to show that he can handle the ball for longer stretches. He had to do it against Michigan State and Wisconsin with uh, Geo in foul trouble. And um, he's played a positive role. But you're seeing the guys start to develop. They're not there yet, but they have, you know, three and three-quarters years of, of basketball left before you can really make a judgment on them. But they are way ahead of where I thought they would be. Um, they don't have to be the man, which I think helps, but they're, they're really going to be good players. Uh, Carter, I think, has great hands. Uh, he can really catch the ball and, and get layups and you know, I really thought when the run happened with Fordham that they should have fed him more because he's kind of a run stopper. You just give the big man the ball and let him get a basket. Um, it's hard for me to tell how he is defensively. I haven't. I, I guess I haven't watched that closely, but uh, he, he offensively he's played well. Uh, I, I think he could probably rebound better. Yeah, and it seemed like at least in that Fordham game, the rebounding in the second half kind of just went away. And that kind of yeah. leads me, you know, into the next uh, question regarding the bigs. I think we've seen this year an improved Shaq Dorson, obviously. looks a lot more athletic, uh, lost some weight. It was good that he got a full off season in. I think maybe his first or second uh, during his college time that he actually got a full off season in. Uh, Miles Johnson has been big off the bench. Obviously, Shaq Carter has kind of emerged in the last couple of games, and they have depth there. You know, how do you think the bigs ha- have kind of played? Because that's really Rutgers, I think, staple this year, the fact that they just are so big down low, with obviously Shaq being seven feet, Miles Johnson being close to seven feet, and I think Shaq Carter being 6'10". They have height. I mean, you can't even forget, he hasn't played much in the last couple of games, but Mamadou Ducour, um, they have height, they have size, and, and these are big, not only height-wise, but big guys. You know, Shaq Carter... If he's 6'10", he looks slight compared to Shaq uh, Dorson and, and Miles Johnson. I think Dorson has been the most impressive. Um, you know, he can really get a rebound. He, he alters shots at the rim. I think Miles Johnson's going to be able to do that as well. But I think Dorson has problems defending the mobile big man, and that's kind of hurt him at times. But he's getting better. They just need, you know, with C.J. Gettys and uh, – Deshaun Freeman in the past couple of years, they've always been a really good rebounding team, and I think these players who are new are starting to need to find that rebounding, you know, dominant rebounding uh, ability because it really wasn't there in that second half. That ball bounced. Fordham was getting three or four offensive rebounds on a possession, you know? Yeah, I think there was one possession, I think, earlier in the second half where Fordham, I think, took four threes. Missed all four of them, I believe, but got the rebound, I believe, on three of the four of them. 
And it was just opportunity after opportunity for the Rams, and that ultimately led them uh, to coming back and, and tying Rutgers and then ultimately taking the lead and obviously you know running away with it at the end. You know, one thing we talk about three pointers. Obviously, the Scarlet Knights started off the season, you know, on a tear really from beyond the arc, or at least on a tear in Rutgers standards over the last <laughs> couple of years. Um, and while it has slowed down a little bit, they still aren't hesitating much from taking those threes. They seem a lot more, you know, comfortable taking them, whether or not they're going in. It's not just East of Chom like it's been in years past with him standing in the corner around the wings shooting threes. Geo, Peter Kiss is shooting threes, Ron Harper, Chom as well. But there, there are guys who can get in from it uh, beyond the arc. How do you think that's kind of helped the Scarlet Knights, especially with a young team, you know, getting hot and hitting a couple threes can really change the momentum of the game. And I think it's really helped the Scarlet Knights in some of them. Well, yeah, I mean, even look at that, that three that Chom hit with about seven minutes left against Fordham. I really thought Rutgers was going to turn around and kind of take over again after that. But um, the three-pointer is, you know, the great equalizer. You know they're going to have Knights in the Big Ten, probably at home at the rack where every shot goes in. Um and they haven't had that much, you know, because their shooting was so bad. You know, Geo's shooting better. Tom is shooting pretty well. Even Eugene Omeruji, I don't mind him taking that three-point shot. And Kiss is hitting the open three. Um, they're not, you know, they're not hitting 50% like they were when they started the season. But they, they hit the open three. And that helps. That keeps you in a game. And that helps if you have a defensive lapse. And I think this team is really learning how to defend still. So they need the three to kind of keep up when there is a lapse. So let's talk about, obviously, the big game this Saturday. You know, some would say maybe the most important game on Rutgers' schedule, really. Obviously, the Seton Hall game. The Scarlet Knights trying to retain that Garden State Hardwood Classic Trophy would be the second year in a row they get it, obviously, beating Seton Hall at the rack last year. It's it's much anticipated. Seton Hall obviously coming off their huge win against Kentucky at Madison Square Garden. I look at it as maybe, look, the Scarlet Knights, yeah, they lost to Fordham, but it's good for them to get that bad performance out of the way. You know, they'll come refocused, re-energized to, I think, what will be a great crowd. I think already sold-out crowd at the Prudential Center. Uh, There'll be a lot of Rutgers fans there, a lot of Seton Hall fans there, obviously. But right now, would you agree that with how their seasons have gone and the, the experience they have, Seton Hall maybe has a little bit of an advantage going into the game? Oh, yeah. Well, Seton Hall has an advantage, A, because they're home, and B, because they've been to the NCAA tournament, you know, the last three seasons. Um, they're young, but, you know, Miles Powell's been through it, uh, and he's excellent. And now they have, you know, that program kind of defining win against Kentucky. They're going to be flying high. I have no doubt that Piper will have them ready to play, and it looks like this team kind of rises to it the occasion to at least play good teams close and tough um Rutgers that is but I I don't know Seton Hall definitely you know being home being more experienced they definitely have the advantage and I think you make a good point there you know Rutgers it seems like in every year of the Pikel era so far they have been able to play up to their opponents You, you see teams like Michigan State come to the rack and Rutgers has been able to to match them. I remember a couple of years ago, I think Rutgers was either tied or, or at one point up by 10 against Michigan State. Obviously, with the Purdue game last year at the rack, Rutgers only lost by two. Uh, the Big Ten tournament, Rutgers has been able to play up to their opponents. And I, I think we got to give a lot of credit to that, obviously, to Steve Peichel. 
And it just seems that the coaching staff, him with Brandon Knight, Jay Young, Carl Hobbs, they have them ready to play. And, you know, in a game like Seton Hall, you know it's going to be a, a physical, tough, grinded-out game. And I think that, you know, really kind of uh, works into the Scarlet Knights' favor because they're not a team— I think that really is is going to finesse someone out of the building. I think they're a team that's going to, you know, grind it down low. They're going to have Eugenio Marui in there drawing charges, trying to get buckets uh, down low. So I think maybe this kind of game that's going to be, you know, close all the way through, maybe even, you know, helps the Scarlet Knights a little bit. What do you think about that? I actually think Rutgers matches up pretty well against Seton Hall um, uh, defensively. And, you know, if you can contain Powell, that's only going to help you. Um, so, yeah, I think Rutgers will probably try to get the big men in foul trouble, probably feed it down low, and then try to hit the opportunistic three. Um, but who knows? I mean, I, I just I have no feel for this game. You know, a, a week ago, Seton Hall was down. They had lost to two in a, they had lost to Louisville. They lost to somebody of oh, St. Louis. And, and you were kind of wondering, is, is, are, how young are they? And then they beat Kentucky, and now they're up again. And, you know, a week ago, Rutgers was flying, not flying high, but, you know, playing all these teams tough and re- looking really well coached. And then they come in and lay an egg against Fordham. I, I, if you asked me to predict the score, I, I couldn't. Would you say that the – I mean, you already said the key really is, is to stop Miles Powell – and I don't know how much you've watched of Seton Hall, but, you know, I, I saw at least highlights of, I think it was the last five minutes of that Seton Hall-Kentucky game, and I think Miles Powell scored the last 11 points for for Seton Hall and, you know, carried that team, obviously, to, to overtime and then, and then to victory uh, in that overtime session. He's the key to, I think, beating the Pirates. How would you go about doing so? How would you go about kind of stopping Miles Powell or at least trying to contain him? I think... Chom is the best defensive player on Rutgers, and I think I would throw Chom at Powell, and then when I need to switch him off, throw Mathis at Powell and just try to frustrate him. It's almost like what Rutgers likes to do against Ethan Happ is throw different big men at Happ to try and frustrate him, which they did really well last year. They didn't do it as well this year. But I think you've got to give somebody like Powell, who can kind of hit from anywhere on the court, different looks. You know, okay, you can't shoot over Chom. All right, now maybe Mathis could get his hands in there and, and steal the ball. You know, even even put Geo on him for a little while, but I think you have to save Geo to keep him from getting worn down and put Geo on McKnight. Uh, so I think that's what I would do. I would roll different players at him, see who can keep up, and, and see if you can get him, you know, frustrated. I think you got to frustrate him and force him to take bad shots. What are your keys to the Scarlet Knights pulling out a victory? You know, obviously, Geo Baker, you, you hope you have a good game. Eugenio Marie as well. But what are your, I guess, kind of two or three main keys if Rutgers wants to go into the Brandeis Center on Saturday and, and come out with a win? Uh, rebound the ball. Play good defense and, and hope that somebody, like, find us a third score. So Geo and Omaruyi will probably get double digits, um, whether it's Chom or Kiss or Mathis or Harper find somebody else who can really, you know, put the ball in the basket. Do you think that, you know, you bring up that third score, and, and we've kind of seen games where it's been Peter Kiss. We've seen times when it's, you know, Issa Chom will hit a couple threes, maybe even Montez Mathis as well, Ron Harper too. Do you think Rutgers is go, is okay or going to be okay the rest of the season with having that, you know, different third score each game, or do they need someone to kind of, you know, affirm themselves as, 
if Omar Rui's not playing well, if Gio Baker's not playing well, I am the go uh, the go to guy. Do they need someone like Peter Kiss to really rise up and assume that role as the third scorer? Or they do you think they're okay with it? You know, some games being Chom, some games being Kiss, some games being Harper. What do you think? I, I would rather it be Kiss. I think Kiss has a real chip on his shoulder. And you kind of saw it at that Michigan State game where he got out on a run and, you know, dunking the ball and kind of shouting into the crowd. I think if you can get him consistent, um, that would only help. I, I would like to be able to say um, other teams need to defend Geo Baker, Omar Rudy, and Peter Kiss instead of other teams need to defend Geo Baker, Omar Rudy, and then whoever else goes off. Uh, I think Rutgers is best if Kiss, Baker, and Omar Rudy are hot, and then you're relying on Tom to make an open three here or there, which you could do, and a freshman to kind of chip in. Now, looking at the season back again as a whole, if you could give this season a letter grade so far, again, we're nine games into the year. Seton Hall's obviously game number 10. If you could give this season a letter grade, what would it be? Uh, man. If you think this one's uh, hard, I'm going to give you the next one, which you said you couldn't predict. I'm gonna, That's coming up next. So so be ready. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking a C plus. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know. My gut says a C. You know, that record-wise, they're where I thought they would be. Um, I test there. Uh, the I mean, you're calling me Monday. This is Monday we're talking. I don't know. I think it's going out Friday morning or Thursday morning. Um, I still got that Fordham loss kind of sitting on my chest a little bit. So I'm going to go see. All right. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I, I would agree with that. I'm like you that I believe uh, the record is – where I thought it would be at five and four. Now, again, I think, as you said earlier, I thought those four losses wouldn't include Fordham, uh, but obviously they do. But I still think, obviously, the record is what most fans thought it would be. Dave, a couple more before we let you go. The first one, you said you weren't, you, you said you couldn't put your finger on it, but I'm going to press you for it anyway. Do you have a prediction for Saturday's game? I, I, I'm going to stick to my guns, and I am going to refuse to pick this game because not only do I not have any idea. Do you not want to jinx I'm it? I'm very superstitious. <laughs> hey, I, I feel like, you know, myself, as well as all of our listeners, we all want the same outcome as you do, obviously. And mm -hmm. and we appreciate the fact that, you know, you can't put your finger on it and the fact that you are superstitious. You're not going to go against your superstition and make a prediction. So so we appreciate that because, you know, everyone would be looking at you, Dave, if you were to go against your superstition, made a prediction, and obviously <laughs> didn't have. Everyone would be pointing at Dave White. It's his fault. I, I wrote an article two years ago about um, why I never go to the Seton Hall game anymore because every year back when I was younger, back when you may have been born, I'm not even sure. I would go to the Seton Hall game, it'd be a big game, and Rutgers would lose in heartbreaking fashion. And then when I wouldn't go, they would find a way to win at Seton Hall. So I stopped going. Oh, see, see. <laughs> it, I am not going on Saturday. Even even more reason why I guess it's now good that you didn't go against your superstition. Dave, one more before I let you go. I want to, I, I've been wanting to ask you for a while now. It's, it's right. gotten play on, on Twitter. It's kind of become, you know, very popular, I think. Uh, but and I believe it has its own hashtag as well, the Dave Wave. Can oh. you can you kind of go into detail about how it how it was started? You know where it came about and and how it's really how it's really taken off. It's really I think you know rocked and and energized the rack. I think it's something oh, yeah. that that people really <laughs> when you when I go to a basketball game, that's something I'm looking for. That I am I like I have my eyes looking out for <laughs> Dave White 
waving to, I think it's the other beat writers uh, across yep. the, the arena. I feel like you're busting my chops. <laughs> no, <but>, come on. <laughs> I will tell you, it was, oh gosh, it was one of the out-of-conference games last year. Probably It was probably Hartford because I didn't go to Stony Brook. And the arena was dead. And, you know, I know some of the beat writers like Brian Fonseca and back then it was Griffin Whitmer were there. And they were like the only ones. And it was so quiet. I said, all right, at the eight-minute timeout, I'm going to wave to you guys. You guys got to wave back. And I hashtagged it, Dave Wave. And they did, and we kept it up in a couple more of the quiet games, and then it kind of went its own way. And then this year, uh, I was asked to, to come on the court. They're doing a thing where they're honoring season ticket holders. So I went on the court with my dad, and all they had us do was wave as they <laughs> said our name. <laughs> so you can find that wave on Twitter. Um, and it just has a nice rhyme. As, as you probably know, Lance, I'm a big fan of puns. So uh, Dave Wave is, is kind of nice. Yeah, you certainly are. Dave, it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, you know, thank you again for not making a prediction on the Seton Hall game. We don't want to go against your superstition. <laughs> and I guess thank you not, uh, thank you for not or deciding not to be there. Because, like, you know. Yeah, I, we'll see. I can't guarantee it's going to work out because there have been some blowout losses when I haven't been there. But uh, I think it'll be a close game. I, I think both teams will come out fired up. I agree. Uh, you know, Rutgers Seton Hall, you kind of never know what to expect, but you you never know what's going to happen. There's always crazy things, but you can always expect that it's going to be tight. It's going to be close and it's going to come down to the wire. Dave, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Thanks so much for joining me again. And I look forward to having you on the podcast later uh, in the season uh, for your third time. So thanks again for coming on now. Yeah. Hopefully the, the letter grade will have risen. There'll be some <laughs> improvement by then. I want to thank Dave White for giving his thoughts on the team a little more than a quarter of the way through the season. To help me wrap up now episode 25, I am pleased to be joined by the president of the Rutgers University Court Club, Elliot Sachs. The Court Club is less than a month away from their biggest fundraiser of the season, their annual auction, with the proceeds going to the men's basketball program. The event will take place at the Rack on Saturday, January 5th, right after Rutgers takes on Maryland. Now I am pleased to be joined by Elliot Sachs. Elliot, how are you? Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Lance. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for a few moments to talk about our auction. So, Elliot, let's talk about that auction. Can you go into a little bit of detail about the purpose of it, you know, its history, and what it does to benefit the men's basketball program? Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, so uh, the court club has uh, had our auction for probably about 20 years now, and it's the biggest fundraiser that we have each season. And uh, as probably many of your listeners know uh, Brian Kelly. He uh, is the former president of the court club. He has stayed on as our auction chairperson. And uh, if you've been to our auctions the past few years, you've seen uh, a really fine uh, assembly of uh, auction items that we have. Uh, the auction is broken up into three, re- three areas. One is the tricky tray items. One is the live auction items. And the third is the uh, silent auction. And um, each one of those areas uh, are very well represented uh, this year. Uh, Brian's put together a a great package. We're actually finalizing that right now. And uh, I'm sure that he'll be posting on the message board the listing as they become finalized. I would expect you to get the listing on the message board probably uh, the 2nd, 3rd, 4th of January, certainly uh, before the auction on the 5th. 
So look, it, it is the Court Club's biggest fundraiser of the year. You know, so many unique prizes up for grabs. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a sneak peek, maybe, of some items that'll be auctioned off? Absolutely. Uh, Brian, again, has been working very hard. We have uh, some of the items from the 75-76 team, media guides, uh, pennants, uh, ticket stubs, things like that. Um, We also have a lithograph, autographed and custom framed by the 75-76 team. Um, I know a lot of things that the, uh, the listeners seem to like are memorabilia that things that used to hang in the rack such as nit banners uh we'll have uh, one of those and uh also somehow brian came up with the player foul sign from the original rack scoreboard and uh those type of items for some reason do very well in our auction so uh also uh, we'll have uh, several Rutgers graduates uh, signed helmets from football players. Uh, some, like, for example, Devin McCourty, uh, Bill Piquel, uh Mohamed Sanu, Jason McCourty, um, Tim Wright, all kinds of different uh, items from them. For the basketball fans, we have some Hamidi Njai and Quincy Doobie items that were autographed as well. Um, also Giants and Jets fans, uh, you'll see, uh, Saquon Barkley, Curtis Martin type signed helmets, those kinds of things. So there's just really, uh, you know, as a Giant, a Jet, Eagles, Phillies, um, Mets, Yankees, all kinds of items from the pro teams in the area, plus the Rutgers items. I think, uh, you know, I strongly encourage all of the, uh, podcast listeners uh, after that Maryland game, just to head back to the hospitality area, just take a lap around, take a look at what we have. I think you'll be uh, excited and uh, we're looking forward to seeing as many of you as we can on uh, Saturday, January 5th uh, at the auction. And, you know, that was going to be my next question. How can people, reg- is it, you know, something you register for? Can they just go right after the Maryland game and, like you said, kind of take a lap and walk around? How can people participate if they do want to attend and are interested in the auction? Yeah, it's it's open to everybody, Lance. Everybody is welcome. And like I said, uh, after uh, the game is over, I would really encourage everybody to to uh, go to the hospitality area. And uh, the hospitality area is located uh, between sections 110 and 111 of the athletic center. So, if you're looking, you know, if you're thinking about the athletic center, the student section, if you're looking at the student section, it's to the left of the student section in that back corner of the of the athletic center. So, Elliot, before I let you go, talk about the court club overall for people, I guess, who want to get involved with it. How can they join? How could they be a part, really, of everything that you do? Great question, Lance. Thanks for asking that. Uh, the court club is the men's uh, basketball booster club. Our primary, our only objective really is to support the men's basketball program. And we support them with uh, monetary donations every year. Uh, and, and like you said, the, really the big fundraiser we have is uh, the uh, auction. You can join the, uh, the court club by going to our website, RutgersCourtClub.com. Just go to RutgersCourtClub.com. You'll get the latest information of the happenings of the court club. Also, you'll see uh, on the website there's a tab. It's labeled membership. 
uh, you can go there and just follow the instructions to join, uh, to become a member of the core club. And, uh, you know, we'd love uh, all of our listeners to go there and uh, just to learn about the core club, see what we're all about, and uh, hopefully to join. It would be great to have uh, as many people join the core club as, as we can. The Core Club auction will take place after the Rutgers-Maryland game at the Rack on Saturday, January 5th. You can follow the Court Club on Twitter, at our Court Club, and find them at, on Facebook. Just search Rutgers Court Club. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this exciting fundraiser. Thanks for the opportunity, Lance. Have a, uh, have a great uh, holiday season, and hope to talk to you soon. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.